want to take just a minute before we get to our sermon here and just let you know that uh, parents, especially of the younger children that we have in here, um, we've started something new this Sunday. We've got a little sermon notes page uh, specifically for the younger kids to help engage them uh, in our entire service, not just the sermon, but the service. And so on Sundays from now on, uh, as they come in, the ushers at the doors should have these, or there will be some uh, also printed in a stack on the back table back there, even if you wanted to go grab one now. But I just like the way that they engage our younger listeners, uh, just even asking about what's the favorite song that we sang this morning. Do you have any questions about the sermon? What is something we learned about God today? And so uh, definitely in our attempts to help engage everyone, our, our children, we all need this, but our children, just especially as they're coming up, uh, that they would hear the words of God, not just the words of men. They need, we all need to hear the words of God, and this is just maybe one way that would help engage them and encourage them to do that. So I'm thankful for uh, these being able to be used today. You know, nearly every day of our lives, we ask ourselves a subtle question. Maybe sometimes we even ask it out loud, but the subtle question that we ask ourselves is, what am I gonna wear today? What am I gonna wear today? Maybe you stand in front of your closet and ask that out loud, but even if you don't do that, it's a subtle question that we must answer. And there's a lot of factors that would go into answering that question. Before we would put on the clothes, before we make that choice of what we're going to wear today, there'd be many factors. I mean, for example, uh, one question that we'd have to answer is, well, what are we going to be doing today? Because I would certainly be wearing clothes, different kinds of clothes, if I was four-wheeling in the woods versus going to a, a nice restaurant for dinner. So definitely the occasion. What would I be doing? Maybe one question we would also ask is, well, what is clean? <laughs> What's available? Am I going to pick something up off of the floor and wear that, or am I going to go to something clean out of the drawer in the closet? So well, what's available? But maybe, and this is probably the most prominent question that gets asked in our house when uh, people are getting ready to go out the door, getting ready for the day, is what's the temperature outside? What's the weather going to be like? Is it a, is it a sweatshirt day? Is it a shorts and t-shirt day? What's the weather going to be like? So whether we consciously realize or recognize it or not, we deal with this question all the time, probably every day. What clothes will I put on today that ready me for today's activities. Well, the clothing and this idea of clothing is going to be the subject of today's sermon, but not physical clothing, not the physical clothing that we put on our bodies. God's word today is going to challenge us to put on spiritual clothing. Maybe you've never heard of this idea before, but this is the motif that the Apostle Paul is going to use today where he's going to tell us how do you ready yourself for the activities of the day? How do you ready yourself for all of the spiritual activities? So just as we would consider the physical world and the physical occasions to put on physical clothes, our text today is going to help us consider spiritual world and the spiritual occasions of why we would put on and what we would put on spiritual clothes that will ready us for the activities that we face each day. We are well into the section of the book of Colossians. If you haven't been with us on Sunday mornings, we're just walking through, slowly but surely, this little letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to an ancient church in the city of Colossae, which is modern-day Turkey. 
the Colossian church there. He's writing this letter to them. We've moved through the section of this book, chapters 1 and 2. It was heavily theological. It was very heavy on all that Christ is and all that Christ has done. The Apostle Paul told us that Christ is the firstborn over creation. That he was present in the, in the early days that we know as time making and creating the world. He was present there. He's also the firstborn over salvation. That Jesus Christ is God's agent to employ salvation to us through his death on the cross. That's why he came to this earth. Maybe just in summary of Colossians chapter 1, I'll read this. That through Jesus Christ, reconciling to God all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Apostle Paul was sure to tell us and give us a Mount Everest picture of all that Jesus Christ is, of all that he has done. And for us, he has reconciled sinful man with perfect and holy God, making peace between those two parties by the death and by his blood shed on the cross. So as we've moved through, we've been considering all of this, all of the wonders of Jesus Christ. Now as we've turned, though, to Colossians chapter 3, uh, it's not that this isn't no longer theological, it's very theological, but the Apostle Paul turns to very practical living. What do we do with these things that we know? What do we do with these truths of Jesus Christ that he can change us, not from the outside in, which is man's religion, that's man's way of trying to change a person from the outside in, but Jesus Christ changing a person from the inside out. What does this outside now begin to look like? As Jesus has done a work in my heart, forgiven me of my sins, I have peace with God, the burden of guilt and shame is lifted, I now have new desires, I've been awakened in my heart to God, I want and desire to live for him. How is Jesus Christ now changing us from the inside out? Chapter 3 begins to take up this very application-oriented, practical teaching for us. Scripture does this in other places as well. Romans is another great example of this, where the first 11 chapters, the Apostle Paul is laying down great theological points. And in then chapter 12, it turns with the word therefore. Therefore, having considered all of this teaching beforehand, therefore now present your bodies as living sacrifices holy and acceptable unto God. Ephesians is another book in the New Testament. Does this very thing, heavy on doctrinal teaching for the first three chapters, and then it begins to get very practical from Ephesians chapter four through six. So this is a, a, a motif that the Apostle Paul employs often. Here the tone has changed for us in the book of Colossians in our studies. This tone has changed beginning in chapter three. If you remember two weeks ago, Verse 1 through 4 of Colossians chapter 3, Paul says, Given all of this, set your mind now on things above. Set your mind on the things of Christ. Set your mind on things of eternity. We will live down here in a much more God-honoring, practical, biblical way when our minds are set upward on our eternal home, on Christ who is seated at the right hand of the Father. And I use this example that if you buy a new house and you've moved into that new house, 
You, you don't go back and think about ways to improve your old house. You don't go back and re-roof your old house. You don't go back and paint the rooms in your old house. You leave the old house. And you dwell uh, continually and you dwell specifically and entirely in that new home. This is what the Apostle Paul has been challenging us to do. Now that we have new life, now that we have new life in Christ, we set our minds on things above, not on things on this earth. Then last Sunday, Pastor Andrew brought to us these next few verses, verses 5 through 11 of Colossians chapter 3 where he took up that example of the house and he just said, here is now what we are to do with our old sins. Burn them down. That old house, burn it down. Let go of all of the things that are not pleasing to the Lord. Kill sin, the apostle Paul says. Put those things away. Put to death the stuff that belongs in you from the old life, the old ways. And this is an endeavor that we take up the moment that Christ comes into our hearts and brings us new life. We begin to put away those old ways. There's a whole list of them there in verses 5 through 11. To put away dishonesty, we're to put away sexual immorality, we're to put away greed, we're to put away all of these things. Cast those aside. Burn those things down. Now as we turn to today's passage, we see the Apostle Paul using this idea of clothing. So if we've taken off the old way, we now clothe ourselves in the new way. So I invite you to turn with me to Colossians chapter 3 this morning. We'll begin in verse 12. The title of this morning's message is just simply this, What should I wear today? What should I wear today? And of course, I'm not talking about physical clothing. We're talking about the clothing of the soul, the clothing of the heart. And today is very important because the Apostle Paul is going to challenge us. This is something we must do repetitively. It's not just one time to make a decision, but we are to be constantly putting on this new way of life, putting on these new pieces and articles of clothing for the soul. So Colossians chapter 3, let's look at verses 12. We'll, we'll just work our way through verses 12, 13, and 14 this morning. Colossians chapter 3. But we'll notice this first point, And this is God outfitting us as Christians, as those with new life, as those that he's done a work in our heart. He is outfitting us for this terrain. It's the terrain of relationships. It's the terrain of interacting with other people sinful people just as we are sinful how do we get along in the world how do we get along in the atmosphere and the temperature and the terrain of relationships and so this is what this passage is going to help us with today here in Colossians chapter 3 verse 12 we notice first of all that we must know who we are maybe even more importantly more appropriately we need to know whose we are who do we belong to as Christians? Colossians 3.12, let's look at it now. Put on then, this is this idea of clothing. Put these things on yourselves. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. He's going to get to the list of things to put on here in just a moment, but he pauses 
to remind us whose we are. To remind us who we are. You know, the, Paul has just listed all of these sins and we might feel a little bit beat up after all of these things of the old person, the old ways that we're supposed to be putting off. It's very timely here that God has us remember and has us know and be reminded once again whose we are and what he has done for us as Christians. So here we have it. We are God's chosen, holy, and beloved. It's interesting that God would have us know of our identity before we ever move into the activity of what we're supposed to do. Because who we are has a major influence on what we do. We have these three identifying words used to help us locate ourselves as Christians. If we're going to be putting on what we are supposed to put on, this new clothing of heaven, we need to remember and be reminded of who we are. This first word that is used here is God's chosen. Put on then as God's chosen. Some people say that claiming to be chosen by God leads to pride. But that is never the intention of Scripture. That God would choose and put his love and affection on someone is never, never intended to be a proud moment for a human. In fact, it's just the opposite. Knowing our sinful selves and then hearing that God has chosen to save us doesn't lead us to arrogance but tremendous humility. God, why? There was nothing attractive in me for this. You've just loved me because you've loved me. It further works in us great security. Brothers and sisters, how wonderful is it to know that this verse says God's chosen not some performance effort that we have done to keep ourselves in God's good grace. This is not a performance-based relationship. This is by God's doing and by God's choosing. So that is the first word that's used here. The second one is this. Not only is it that we are God's chosen, but holy or changed. Changed. Because of Jesus Christ, we are changed. We are made holy. As unholy sinners, we do not scrub ourselves clean to become holy. We are declared, we are made this by God through the Holy One, Jesus Christ. Our outward lives are to be set apart. They're to be holy as a reflection of what God has done inwardly to us. This is his work in our lives. Put on then as God's chosen, holy, and the last word here, beloved. Or we could use the word cherished. This final word is dearly loved. Simply put, the soul is lost and restless. Brothers and sisters, this was us before coming to Christ. This is in large part many people in this world. They are lost and they are restless, looking for perfect love, from imperfect people in an imperfect world. We will never find that. That will never be an equation that satisfies. That we would be somehow looking for perfect love from imperfect humans. But here we are told that we have perfect love given to us by a perfect God in heaven. So we are found, we are changed, we are grounded in this. 
when we are realized this is our identity, that we are loved by God, cherished by the perfect one. This is also the sentiment of the founding verse that we have as our mission statement here, 1 Peter 2.9. We are a holy people. We are set apart unto God's own possession so that we might proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into marvelous light. All that God has done for us, we proclaim his excellencies in all things. What a great mission statement. What a great mission for our lives that we simply speak of the greatness of God in everything. We move on, though, in the next part of verse 12 here. Having settled and grounded our identity, needing to hear this again, that we put on as God's chosen ones, as holy and beloved by him, we now are ready to dress our soul for the landscape of relationships. And this is the second point. Read on with me now in verse 12. We are to put on these virtues. Compassion. Kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. There's five of these. We'll walk through them here in just a moment. But just as the physical environment and physical occasions dictate the clothes that we put on our body, you know, we assess what are we going to be doing today? Are we going to be playing an athletic sport? Are we going to be hiking? Are we just going to be lounging around the house? Are we doing something special? Just as all of the physical environment and occasions dictate the clothes we put on our physical bodies, so too the spiritual environment dictates our spiritual clothing as well. The environment that we step into each day is the atmosphere of relationships. When we roll out of bed in the morning, we're going to be interacting with a wife or children or family, co-workers. We're going to be interacting with the community, people from our church. It's going to be relationships that we are bumping into. That is the landscape for the reason why we are putting on these clothes for our soul. There's five pieces of these clothing here that ready us and prepare us for this environment of relationships. The first one listed is compassion. Compassion is a deep feeling of sympathy for others. And rather than holding people in our lives to impossibly high expectations, compassion considers other people's humanness. It takes into account that we're all human. None of us can be perfect and we don't hold them to a perfect expectation. Compassion allows the people around us to be a work in progress. Do we have space for that in our minds? Do we have space to allow people to be a work in progress? And this compassion prays with hope that God will grow them. I think of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, love hopes all things. Love considers the imperfect people around us and it with compassion, has hope that they will grow into what God would have them to be. The second word is kindness. Kindness is being good. It's being benevolent. It's being helpful to people. It's having a friendly approach that seeks to lift the burdens of other people, to lift their needs. You know, it could be something just as simple as opening a door or smiling and greeting someone. 
or finding a, a visitor and welcoming them. It can be something very small. It can be something very grand, but it's kindness. And we have to just stop for a moment and, and just ask this question. Are you accused of being kind at least once in a while? Someone say, oh, that was, that was just very kind. As Christians, let us be accused of being kind, seeking to lift the burdens and the needs of others. The third word is this, humility. Put on compassion, kindness, and humility. This is recognizing our true and real position before God. You say, how, how could I capture or encapsulate what humility really means? It truly is recognizing where we stand really and truthfully before God. We are sinners saved by grace. That should give us all the humility we need. It's recognizing of this leads us to a lowly, humble attitude that is not demanding, it's not entitled, it's not flamboyant, wanting everybody to focus their attention on us. Humility just simply recognizes where we truly, accurately stand before God. There's a fourth word here, a fourth garment, if you will, we are to clothe our souls with. It's meekness. Meekness is an inner strength that deals gently with others. It is willing at times, though, though not always, but it is willing at times to waive my own rights and yield them to someone else. It was said of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that he displayed meekness, yielding of himself, not on all occasions and not all the time, but being willing to waive his rights and yield to the cross, especially in the salvation of sinners. The fifth and final piece of clothing here we're looking at this morning is patience. Patience. It means having a long fuse, right? A long fuse before we let something explode, before we act out, before we get ready to do this thing. We have a long fuse of patience to bear with other people's imperfections, to bear with other people's annoyances, while again, loving them with hope, hoping and praying the Lord would change them into the treasures of grace that he has them to be. So here we have them, these five articles of clothing for the soul. Compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. And we ask this question, so what is the occasion? We clothe our, clothe our souls with these virtues. What is the occasion? What do they ready us for? Uh, these are highly theoretical attitudes that our hearts are to be readied and to be clothed with. Now what do we do with them? What are they for? All of these virtues ready us for the rugged terrain of relationships. Rugged terrain. Now, maybe we have some unrealistic pie-in-the-sky thought that relationships are just going to be easy street, and they all just flow so beautifully like a calm river. The Bible paints us as humans as stiff-necked and stubborn people. And if you put 8 billion of them on the planet, it's very likely it's going to be a rugged terrain navigating 
human relationships. This clothing that we're studying here this morning readies us for these relationships. Daily, we must put these articles on as we daily take up the work of daily interacting with other imperfect sinners. And so now we move on to verse 13 to see what do these things ready us for? They ready us to actually employ these virtues so that we bear with one another and forgive one another. They ready the soul. They prepare us to endure and to succeed in the landscape of relationships. Look with me at verse 13. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Again, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Isn't it interesting that we are to have at the forefront of our mind the action of God first to forgive us before we are ever called upon to imitate that act and to forgive others. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. But here in verse 13, we're seeing how this clothing is actually being used to work towards healthy relationships. Clothing ourselves with these godly virtues allows us to, this verse says, bear with one another and forgive one another. Now, if we simply take this and work backwards, it would show us that if we are struggling to bear with someone or if we are struggling to forgive someone, it's because we have been neglecting to clothe ourselves with God's garments. You can't just say, well, I'm struggling to forgive. I just need to work harder for, to forgive. Let us back up and see what the run-up to forgiving and bearing with one another is all about. It's first clothing ourselves in the garments of God. Letting the soul be bathed in these virtues, which readies us now for the difficult task and the difficult terrain of navigating relationships. When we fail to put on the virtues, we are going to go out and get beat up by the harsh environment of what we know as human relationships. But here, Scripture gives us the scenario, the sequence, the chronology of this. God does a work in us. It is working out of us so that we bear with and forgive one another just as God in Christ has done for us. You know, years ago, I decided that I wanted to see if I could withstand some extreme temperatures. Uh, the weather forecast was calling for, I think it was about 35 to 40 degrees below zero. So I would do what any normal person would do. I decided to go hunting just to see if I could do it, just to see if I could sit outside in those temperatures it took some research. It took some preparation. You know, in extreme temperatures that low, you can really freeze to death in under a half an hour. So I layered up. I did everything that I could that I knew how to do, reading about base layers and mid layers and outward layers and how to keep warm just sitting in these temperatures. But suppose just for a moment, I would have gone through all of that hassle. Suppose I did the research, layered up, got ready, did everything I needed to do, but I never stepped foot outdoors one moment. I just stayed inside. Six layers of clothing, ready to go, hand warmers, 
you know, things taped around my feet, whatever it would take, all that you do, and then never went outside. Sometimes I think as Christians, we, we know what to do. We read these virtues. We are asking the Lord to make these virtues alive within us. But then we never step outside to engage these virtues for their purpose. We, we put the raincoat on, we, we throw the umbrella up, even though it's raining outside, and we never step outside to actually engage for the purpose of that clothing. This is the purpose of the soul's clothing, the God's garments that he puts on us, these virtues. It is so that we can bear with one another and forgive one another that we might remain in unity. If we put the clothing of all these virtues on, we must be willing to actually use them. We use them when we bear with one another, when we bear with each other's faults, when we bear with each other's annoyances, when we bear with each other's shortcomings. We use them by forgiving the complaints. Did, did you notice here in this verse, it doesn't even stipulate whether these are legitimate or illegitimate complaints. The complaints with one another might be real, they might be valid, or they might be invalid. They might be illegitimate. It just says, if one has a complaint against another, no matter the reason, true, not true, valid, invalid, legitimate, not legitimate, whatever the case, if you have a complaint against one another, forgive. Cast it to the side. Listen, the Lord has plenty of legitimate complaints against all of us. The Lord has plenty of legitimate complaints against me. Yet he is willing to forgive and dismiss them. How could I do anything else? How could I do any other? If you're struggling with forgiveness today, let these virtues uh, clothe your soul but most importantly, take a deep, long look at Christ. All of our valid, legitimate uh, shortcomings, all of our valid, legitimate complaints, all of our valid, legitimate sins, God has forgiven in Christ. He calls us to do the same. We mercifully, graciously grant forgiveness because we have mercifully, graciously been forgiven. We go on to our last verse. We'll finish in verse 14. There is going to be a beautiful picture that the Apostle Paul says, all of this is heading to a goal. It's heading to a purpose. And it is in verse 14 that we are to tie everything together in love so that there is this picture of perfect harmony and unity. Verse 14, above all these things, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. This is the last point as God has outfitted us for our relationships, that we tie everything together in love. Above all, our verse says, that means on top of all of this, put on love. I, I think of it in this context as putting on the overcoat, putting on the top coat after all of the other Pieces of clothing have been put on. Above all of this, before you head out, wrap yourself 
in love to be extended to others. This is not, nor can it be, feelings-based love. We are to put on love. We are to put it on in a determined way that wills the best for others. We could simply ask ourselves this question, look at the types of people or the type of person that is requiring these five traits and needing forgiveness. We are to love them. We are to put love on top of the people that require compassion and kindness and humility and meekness and patience and those that have complaints against us on top of all of that. The people in our lives that require that kind of virtue of God's work in me and to put love on top of all of that, that cannot be a feelings-based kind of love. It has to be a determined love. It is a love of choice. It is of redeemed determination that God gives us the stalwartness and the ability to love even unlovely people because he has first loved us. This is the kind of love that is only formed in us because God has first loved us this way. 1 John 4.19 says, we love because he first loved us. That is the only way that this love is formed and able to be deployed because God has first loved us. This means that the ability and the desire must come from God to do this. So we ask him. Lord, I admit that I'm weak and am deficient in this. Would you grant me the love that I need to put it over the top of all of this, to bear with and to forgive? One final thing we notice here at the end of verse 14, when God's people love each other this way, when we, are, when we have the clothing of these virtues and we have it, uh, the, the top coat covered on top of all of it, wrapped in love, it brings us together in perfect unity. Look at the end of verse 14 again. Above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, in perfect unity. What's the difference between a dysfunctional church and a church that is mature in unity and harmony? What's the difference? I think this verse tells us. This verse clarifies it for us. The difference is not the absence of problems. The difference is not the absence of complaints. All of that stuff is actually present right here. In our passage we've looked at today, the difference is the presence of redeemed people clothing themselves with heaven's wardrobe and employing these virtues to bear with and to forgive one another. That is the difference. This is the beautiful trophy of God's grace that a church is supposed to be, united together in perfect harmony because of the work that God has done and is doing in our hearts. I want to close with this reminder. You know, daily we give our attention to dressing our bodies. We do that every day. We take into account the weather, the terrain, the occasion, the environment, and then we clothe ourselves. We pick our choice, we put it on, and we go. In today's passage, God is calling us to dress our souls, to dress our hearts. We take into account the landscape of relationships and what God says about the nature of fallen people. We've got to see relationships for what they truly are. It's fallen people getting along because of Christ. 
Then we put on these clothes. We put on the clothes of redeemed people, saved people, forgiven people. People have been given new life with the intent to use them. We deploy these virtues in our relationships. Listen, some of our relationships are like people wandering around the North Pole in swimsuits. They see the terrain. They know what's outside. They don't clothe themselves. And so no wonder it's going to go very poorly for them. Walking around the North Pole in a swimsuit is not a good idea. You will feel all of the effects of that rugged and difficult terrain. That is not what we're called to do as Christians. We're to see, understand the environment, clothe ourselves accordingly, and then deploy those things into our relationships. As God's chosen, changed, and cherished people, we clothe, we employ, and we love. The result is a church body that shines for God's glory. Amen? The result is a community of believers in perfect unity just as God designed, just as God has redeemed us to be. Let's close our time this morning in prayer. Lord, we ask for your help. When we come to a passage like this, we ask that you would dress us with clothing from above. Lord, I pray that we would be people whose ears are open. Would you enable our ears to be open, that we would listen to the weather report of our relationships, what we face day by day. Lord, maybe above all in this, might we be knowledgeable and look to love, to put on that top coat of love, knowing that you have loved us first supremely in Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for teaching us from your word today. I pray that your Holy Spirit would press this into our hearts, that these virtues, this calling would live within us. Most of all, that we would be grateful and thankful to you for your love and forgiveness of all of our sins. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.